This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas and welcome to our podcast and we're going to do something a little bit different with this episode. I'm joined by just one colleague, our digital journalist Hamish Penman, and we're here to discuss the first AREG Energy Futures Conference, which took place in Aberdeen this week. Um, We're going to discuss that for a little bit, and at the end, we'll have an interview that our Ryan Duff did with Lolita Jackson, who was the keynote speaker at the dinner last night. Incredible woman who works for uh, Sustainable Development Capital, previously for the City of New York, uh, the Mayor's Office on Climate Change and the like, and formerly... Uh, Morgan Stanley, where, as she told us uh, at the dinner, she was working in the Twin Towers on 9-11. Incredible, uh, incredible tale she has. Um, But first, yeah, let's talk Arag Energy Futures. This is the uh, inaugural conference, and we had a whole host of sessions on scaling up renewables, supply chain skills, hydrogen, plenty of exhibits too. And I I think what I took away from it, you know, anecdotally, is this uh, desire for this kind of event in Aberdeen? You know, we, we've had All Energy, which used to be an Aberdeen slash AREG event, and that's moved to Glasgow some years ago. And I believe from what I was told last night that this conference has done better in its first year than All Energy did um, in its first year. So that bodes well. And I guess you can see the appetite, not just in the number of people, but also the the companies that like to attach themselves to this type of uh, idea exchange, you know, BP and Shell, I know it was big sponsors of the event. Um, I'll maybe talk a little bit more about the opening sessions and that. But firstly, Hamish, you were at the business breakfast in the morning. What uh, what were your takeaways? I was, yeah. It's funny that you say that anecdotally people were, were crying out for this because that was pretty much exactly what I got. And that's uh, very much the message of our Vox Pops that we'll hear soon. But it, yeah, it's, it seems like there's a gap that, that has now been filled and people are very glad to see such a such a conference back. Um, but the business breakfast was good. Uh, they can often be, I mean, from a news point of view for us, they can often be quite hit or miss, but this one was certainly a, a hit. Um, the breakfast and socialising is obviously always a hit. Um, but we had... It was kind of off the back of um, Aberdeen and Grampian Chamber of Commerce's uh, energy transition survey that was published that morning. Um, the big headline takeaway from that being that uh, companies or half of companies now see political instability at Westminster as the biggest barrier to energy transition. That's hardly surprising, given you see that we've been through three prime ministers and three, four chancellors in about as many months. Um, so a lot of the reflection was on that, but there were also some some pretty interesting speeches. Um, first was Jeff Aberdeen, who heads up the the kind of business strategy uh, communications um, firm True North. It, it, at this point, it seems like a windfall tax is inevitable. I'm not sure when this is going out, um, so it might have already happened. But um, so he kind of so we'll maybe address that. But uh, he was saying that if if we are going to if the windfall tax is going to be expanded, then a fair deal would be to give Aberdeen a, a green free port in exchange, which I think was probably a view that was widely supported in the room. There was also John Underhill, uh, Professor um, Professor John Underhill, sorry, from Aberdeen University's Energy Transition Institutes. Uh, he was kind of speaking quite a lot on. Had a really interesting segment on the need to educate young people and some young people. He did caveat with that with facts and data, and that came after a protest on on Union Street on Monday, in which um, some Just Stop Oil members threw orange paint over the Silver Fin building, and he was fielding a question about the need to convey the importance of oil and gas and the oil and gas 
workers um, in delivering a transition. And he spoke very well on that. Um, and then another one that I, was a big takeaway for me was Martin Findlay from KPMG, who was basically saying that all the... Uh, of all the expectations on the industry at the moment, be it decarbonisation, be it ramping up supply, be it energy security, it's all very difficult to do with a high tax rate. So he was sympathising there. But no, it's a very good session. I was just serendipitously on the Aberdeen University table, so got to catch up with the like of Alex Kemp, our oil and gas guru. We sat next to Daria Shapilova as well from the uni, who we've spoken to before. So it was nice to... I mean, those events are kind of more than being interesting. They're always quite nice to just... Uh, put faces to names and, and do a bit of socializing yeah, yeah our oil and gas yoda as we like to call him in the energy voice office uh, alex <laughs> camp yeah yeah uh, so i mean we're recording this the day after the ira conference um we, obviously we've got the autumn budget uh, thursday of this week and we will reconvene to discuss what comes following that but yeah we'll we'll see what uh, i think the inevitable uh chat about windfall tax um is right. It seems that that's very much the the direction we're we're heading. Interesting on the protester stuff. Um, you know, I I, cha- I did chaired one of the sessions at the Areg conference, and before we did it, they sent out this kind of pack about what to do if uh, you know if protesters like. I mean, it's a renewables conference, so you wouldn't have thought. But I was kind of just acutely aware that I was on the panel with BP and Shell, um, and there's this pack saying what to do if protesters come in to you know disrupt it, and there's things like scenario one, you have uh, you know hecklers. Scenario two, you've got a moving protest. Scenario three, you have a protest that could physically stop the entire thing. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, but thankfully, we didn't have uh, any of that. Um, yeah, I mean. Some some real championing of the northeast and its role here in the energy transition. Uh, I should mention Ryan did the plenary for us. Michael Matheson, that old chestnut of collaboration, was brought up. Uh, the need to change behaviours as well. Uh, importantly, you know, the energy transition will take us some of the way, but not all of the way. So we need to change the way we live our lives, how we consume products, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yeah, the scaling up renewables panel. Um, some interesting chat about, I guess, the the effort required here. Um, Shell's Beth and Vesey uh, mentioned the original kind of installation of northeast uh, North Sea assets back in the seventies, and that was compared to like the moon landings in terms of the technical challenge. And and B and Shell had these posters that kind of almost looked like. Uh, the Brent field up against the Apollo moon landings. It was really cool. But basically she said that effort, you know, the, the effort that's comparable to the moon landings, we need to do that 10 times over in order to decarbonize the industry. Um, so yeah, some interesting stuff. And uh, that's um, that's our take from the AREG Energy Futures Conference. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice Live app featuring a personalized feed and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. Okay, that's probably enough blabbering from us. So those at the event will have seen us you know, scurrying about and asking for some Vox Pops, and we're weaving that into the podcast. So I'm Richard Sanford, I'm Vice President of Offshore Wind 
uh, UK for BP. First AREG Energy Futures Conference, just to get a sense of what have you made of it? A lot of energy in the room and a good showcase for the Northeast. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Lots of energy, lots of excitement, lots of interest. The energy transition is so incredibly important and it's great to see Aberdeen being the centre of, uh, of attention. So BP, you know, we're making the transition. We're heavily investing in renewable energy, particularly for me, offshore wind. So very exciting to be here and be part of this. Willie Reid, I'm the director of the University of Strathclyde's Offshore Energy Transition Programme. So it's the yeah the first AREG Energy Futures Conference. Just maybe get your sense of what have you made of it? Quite a bit of buzz about this part of the world and the, the activity that's going on. Well, well, it's interesting. I uh, I came across the fact that this was happening only a few weeks ago. I I, I obviously. Uh, known of AREG and, and, and uh, got involved with uh, some of the stuff in the past. But I have to say it surprised me. It's a really good conference, very well attended, great networking. And also, you know, after some of the years we've had, uh, I came early this morning and I probably had useful conversations with at least four people in the first 20 minutes. So what I, what I would say is um, anybody who's interested in this space, which is, is a genuine interest, especially to the northeast of Scotland and other places, is actually here. You know, it, it really has got a buzz about it. I think that um, the flavour of all the different sessions has been good. I think that uh, the participation uh, both uh, nationally and even internationally, I think, is, is, is pretty good. And I think it uh, bodes well for the development of this, uh, this, this sort of area in the northeast of Scotland. I'm John Underhill. I'm the Interdisciplinary Director uh, for Energy Transition at Aberdeen University. Excellent. So just first of all, this AREG conference uh, sponsored today, or breakfast sponsored today, what were the key takeaways for you? From it? Um, so within the survey that's come out, uh, obviously there's a, lo a lack of confidence in terms of political stability, regulation, um, and significantly, particularly for someone like me from the education sector, the stress on, on skills and the need to reskill, upskill, the, both the existing workforce mm -hmm. to face the energy transition, but also to make the, 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 a career pathway which is attractive so that we're recruiting uh, school children into our degree programs and then more particularly showing them a pathway where they can make a material difference mm -hmm. to the, the, the uh, energy uh, transition so that they know what, what pathway they need to be on, what, what courses they need to take, yeah. and then they, they've got a really uh, exciting career ahead of Absolutely. us. Absolutely, and just finally we've got the uh, the AREG conference next door, the return of a clean energy conference to Aberdeen, it's a long overdue and welcome I think. Oh, absolutely. Really exciting. I think it, it, what's very interesting about it, Hamish, is that we've got integrated energy companies that are now committed to the renewable world alongside those uh, existing green technologies. And all of them are on display here in the one place at one time. So it's a one-stop shop to see the technologies, but also to think about the training and skills that are needed in order to ensure that there is uh, employability, relevance for the, the folk coming along on the pipeline, the talent of pipeline that's coming through of, of, uh, from school into university and into uh, employment. Very, very exciting times. And I, I congratulate David Roger and Arig for bringing this together in such a short time and having such a, a brilliant programme. Russell Borthwick, Chief Executive at Aberdeen and Grampian Chamber of Commerce. 
Excellent. So just uh, key takeaways from the from the business breakfast this morning. I think first of all, it was it was, it was great to be here uh, alongside the Aberdeen Renewable Energy Group, which has a full day conference, mm-hmm. and I think I think that was that that was very timely and appropriate, uh, Hamish, given that uh, you know we were talking about the state of the energy sector in the region and the opportunities and challenges around how do we actually uh, fulfil our energy security needs now. Uh, at the same time as transitioning to renewable energy sources in the future. So I think I think the hookup was great. I think what, what did we hear today? The key things are that the government needs to be more supportive of the sector. It needs to create a much more stable uh, taxation and regulatory regime to operate in, or we really are going to frighten investors away. I think we have a better, uh, uh, we need to do a better job uh, collectively about telling the story of transition because it's very clearly the headlines are grabbed by uh, protesters and by climate activists and, 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 and not the middle ground which understands that we can't go from A to Z in one step. A transition is a change of state over time, not in one day. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. I think we also need to address the skills challenges that we've got in terms of reskilling our existing workforce and, and making the energy sector an attractive place for young people to come and work because it is a fulfilling and rewarding career. And actually, they can make a difference and help to tackle climate change by joining the energy sector. So I think we heard a lot of interesting stuff around those key themes. Uh, hopefully, the people that need to know are listening. Excellent. Just finally, sorry, we've got the Arag conference on another clean, return of a clean energy conference to Aberdeen. It's long overdue and very welcome, I imagine. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I think I think you know the, 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 there is no doubt, and we, we saw what one some of the results in the survey kind of pointed to it, increasing quiet confidence that this region really can become a significant global player in hydrogen, in floating offshore wind, in carbon capture and storage. So to actually have an event here with uh, you know with with keynote speakers and a lot of the businesses that will actually be behind driving that change, uh, I think it does it does position Aberdeen and the northeast of Scotland right at the centre of that debate. Okay, and as promised, here's Ryan's interview with Lolita Jackson. I've not heard this yet. Um, I'm not sure to what extent it focuses on the 9-11 angle, much more on her links to Scotland and her work here, but we will be putting up a wider piece online for the full story uh, on that and her experiences, so please do keep an eye out for that on energyvoice.com. Meanwhile, that's it from Hamish and myself. Thank you so much for listening. Can you introduce yourself and tell us why you're at today's event? My name is Lolita Jackson. I am the uh, Executive Director of Sustainable Cities for Sustainable Development Capital. And that is a firm that is located and based in London, but I'm in the New York office. And I'm here because I was asked to speak and talk about some of the experiences I've had in my past role, which was working for the City of New York. I worked in New York City as a special advisor in climate uh, for a number of years and just talk through some of the things that have happened throughout the course of me working for New York City, as well as some of the ways, innovations that we're trying to do and how we're investing in the firm that I'm with now. And what advice would you offer Aberdeen as it transitions towards net zero? Uh, I would say basically make sure that you're involving all levels of your society. So that includes the businesses, the legacy businesses that are not uh, related to the energy or sustainability field as well as people who live in Aberdeen. Uh, plans cannot be successful unless you're involving all aspects of society that actually have to execute those plans. One of the examples I always like to give is when you're talking about EV charging stations, 
Many people don't have places to park their cars. So if you want people to buy EVs, you want them to go to renewable energy for all of the needs in, the, in their lives, you have to make it convenient and easy for them to do. And one of the things that is a problem in New York City is that most people don't have driveways and places to park. So we have to figure out that solution of where we're going to put the charges. And that's just one example of why it's important to get the feedback from everyone who will be implementing the policies that you put in place. So bodies like Aberdeen City Council should be engaging their communities to find out what they need within the transition. Absolutely. So uh, one of my roles um, in city government was after we had a significant hurricane in 2012. You may have heard of Hurricane Sandy. 44 people in New York City died. It was the most devastating natural disaster we've ever had. Many, many people lost their homes, lost their businesses. And I was in charge of all the public affairs. So how do you talk to people who just went through a significant traumatic event and get them to really tell you what they want to see their community look like. And then we recognized that there was a lot of need and there was also a lot of um, deprivation in some of these communities before the storm hit. So you can't just deal with the aftermath of the storm. You have to address the root issues that they had before the storm happened. So one example is a community that had uh, no real drainage. They had very bad sewer systems. So it would rain and it would be flooded on a, just a regular day, just from rain, forget a storm. So the, the city put a billion dollars of infrastructure into that community because they recognized one of their longstanding problems was that they felt ignored and not paid attention to with the basic resources that other parts of the city had. What are the pitfalls that Aberdeen and the rest of Scotland should look out for? You know, it's interesting. I, I um, have written down that the three Ps to me are not public-private partnerships, they're policy, procurement, and permits. So make it easier for people in the private sector and other entities to come in and be able to bid for particular projects, be able to walk alongside with financing, and just to, to not make things take too long because you want people to be patient with you, but patients can run thin really quickly. So to get the amount of, of money that will be needed to come alongside of uh, what the government plans to do, um, they have to get the private sector to come in, but you can't have a procurement take two years. So um, that makes it much more difficult. So I would say just really thinking through innovations of how um, government can make it um, more transparent for private entities to come in and, and be helpful. So our local politicians should be working with the likes of Shell and BP who have offices in Aberdeen to collaborate to make the transition better, not just for the firms, but for the people. Yes, particularly because I do. I am aware of the work of the Just Transition Commission. Um, I actually have met with Tom Shields, who was a member of the last version of it a number of times. And there's groundbreaking work happening in Scotland, but it needs to be sort of uh, radiated out a bit more. So I'll give you an example. LA, which most people don't know, and I'm going to talk about my speech tonight, LA used to be the uh, to provide one quarter of the world's oil, believe it or not. So they've had oil wells for 130 years. Um, so there's significant oil infrastructure in LA now. But they want to go to net zero. So they want those oil fields to eventually be closed, which means those people need new jobs. And so um, when I was first uh, approached about this by LA, I said, hey, there's something in Scotland called the Just Transition Commission, and they're talking to people about this. And they went up to Aberdeen and had a meeting with the oil field workers. And so I connected LA, the LA mayor's office, to the Just Transition Commission here. So that's just one example of the learnings that, that Scotland can be helpful with. And also, you know, uh, just information sharing in general. There's things in the U.S. that may be a, a little bit, not much, because you guys are doing well, but there may be things in the U.S. that are a little bit further along as well. Because we really, um, particularly with union, working with unions, working with job training, and, and those sorts of things, that needs to be a lot of innovation there, because there's skills gaps 
in most of the cities around the world that are trying to do this? How do you get people who uh, are going to college to be able to still participate and have really well-paying jobs um, in renewables? Because the, the thought in the US, as you probably have read, that all the people who do coal are very reticent to go into this because they feel like solar installers don't get paid enough and that sort of thing. So how do you change that narrative and how do you actually get the training up and running. I think that's going to be a, a pretty big challenge. So are things like the Just Transition Commission and Scotland's Skills Passport almost setting a trend for the global transition? Yes, because I would say the Biden administration has come in and said they want to do that and they're 40% uh, of all of the funds that are going out and being dispersed by the federal government have to go to environmental justice communities. But so it's not just the infrastructure, but also the training. But that happened after Scotland had already done it. In your job, you act as a link between government and industry. Is that fair to say? Yes. So what advice would you offer Aberdeen City Council as it moves towards a just transition? Well, I'm actually having lots of conversations with people of all levels of Scottish government, uh, both council leaders and people in, in main government. And it's just to be, have your mind open. So um, I, I can't reveal much of the conversations I'm having, but um, it's very interesting the ways that uh, companies can be very creative in how they present solution ideas for solutions. And I've been uh, very pleasantly surprised at the receptivity to some of the things that I, we've offered or said maybe we could do it this way and having more openness with that. Um, I do know, and this might be controversial to say, but I do know there's been some challenges sometimes with some uh, projects that have gotten procured and maybe, you know, the results were not what people wanted. So also I would uh, give advice that tighten up the procurement officers. So make sure they know what they're talking about, make sure they know what they're doing, looking for the right things um, in the projects so that uh, you don't have disappointments when things aren't quite uh, giving, th either throwing off the amount of money that they said they would or you know, I call it the cruise to nowhere, where it's like you want a tram or a bus line to go a certain place and then all of a sudden it doesn't. So just really, uh, I think that's something that would be really helpful um, to both the council level and the, the government level, senior government level, to have that tightened up. Because I will say in New York, we have like 50 people, that's their holy job, is to like really vet and, you know, knock people out if they, if they you know, had any problems before. So just really, um, and that's why I said the three Ps, policy, procurement, and permits, that really, that will make um, the investments really be solid and people have trust and feel like it's not as risky. What are your key takeaways from today's event? I unfortunately just got here. So <laughs> I would say for me being exposed, because um, it's funny, since I got here, I've been asked five times about hydrogen. I'm talking from Minister McKee to Glasgow Council, hydrogen, and, and, and I, I had no opinion of it. And so I'm looking forward to learning through the rest of the day sort of what has happened or what is happening in the innovations that are going on in there. Because I will say with my company, we hadn't been as focused on it. And I think in the U.S. in general, it's taken a back burner, um, uh, comparatively speaking to what I've been asked about since I've been here. So I would say I'm looking forward to seeing more about hydrogen. And obviously, offshore wind is is way further along here. In fact, the United States, most people don't know this, has one working offshore wind farm, one. The rest are piloted or um, they're in discussions, but there's only one that's actually working and providing power. So there's a lot we can learn about, you know, the uh, where they get manufactured, the training that goes into that. In fact, New York City is trying to have a part of the supply chain uh, for offshore wind uh, with jobs in New York City. But what does that mean? What does that look like? So it's kind of like the Wild West for us. 
Uh, so I, I'm interested in learning about that as well. Hydrogen has been a bit of a hot topic today with Mr. Matheson speaking quite passionately about the subject. And since the invasion of Ukraine, Europe has started focusing more heavily on hydrogen. So is the US looking at that and thinking it should do the same? Or because they don't have the same domestic energy issue, are they sort of looking past it? It's not front of mind in the US because I wouldn't have been able to say this 20 years ago, but we we have a lot of energy. <laughs> so, you know, people are use, using sort of the low-hanging fruit of, you know, onshore wind, now offshore wind finally, but, you know, solar, we have significant solar capabilities, as you know. So I think that hydrogen took a back seat. It's not, not being talked about at all, but it's definitely not front of mind. I, I subscribe to quite a few, um, you know, newsletters and that sort of thing, and you rarely hear about hydrogen, like it's the, the top paragraph in any of those articles, but that's why I'm looking forward to hearing, because you guys are always in the front, so you were in the front with the just transition, so that's why I want to take some of this information back to my colleagues and, and uh, Thank you very much, Lolita Jackson, for agreeing to speak with us at AREG's Energy Futures event. And thank you very much for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.